0: The Guardian.
1: Hello, this is Guardian Daily and I'm Michael White at Westminster where MPs today have been digesting a speech by the Deputy Prime Minister. That's Nick Clegg. It's his first big speech in office. He said that his radical reform agenda is the most sweeping in 200 years, at least on the scale of the 1832 Reform Act, which swept away the rotten boroughs.
2: This government is going to persuade you to put your faith in politics once again. I'm not talking about a few new rules for MPs, not the odd gesture or gimmick here or there to make you feel a bit more involved.
1: We'll hear reaction from here in the House of Commons, including from former Lib Dem leader Ming Campbell and from David Davis, the ex-Tory Shadow Home Secretary.
3: I don't think a government can properly change the rules after it's come onto the pitch.
4: And I'm John Dennis at the Guardian's HQ, where our expert analysts give their view of Nick Clegg's reforms.
0: Obviously, um, compared to things like universal suffrage, for example, uh, it, it's not quite up to those buildings.
5: I mean, I've spoken to judges who've said they're completely unable to keep up with the scale of new criminal legislation because there's just too much of it.
1: So Nick Clegg has used his first speech as Deputy Prime Minister to outline his priorities for what he calls a big-bang approach to reformist politics. In a speech this morning in North London, he outlined the areas where he wants reform. Three
2: major steps that will begin immediately. One, we will repeal all the intrusive and unnecessary laws that inhibit your freedom. Two, we will reform our politics so it is open transparent and decent. And three, we will radically redistribute power away from the centre into your communities, your homes, your hands. Big sweeping change. Not incremental, not bit by bit. Our democracy has suffered at the hands of encroaching centralisation and secrecy for decades.
1: And on the controversial plan to legislate for a 55% minimum vote for a dissolution of Parliament, he had this to say.
2: As we legislate to fix parliamentary terms, the details will of course need to be worked out, but we believe that the support of 55% of MPs or more should be required for Parliament to opt for an early dissolution. That is a much lower threshold than the two-thirds required in the Scottish Parliament, but it strikes the right balance, balance for our Parliament. Maintaining stability, stopping parties from forcing a dissolution to serve their own interests. Now this last week, former Labour ministers, who were once perfectly happy to ride roughshod over the rights of Parliament, are now declaring that this is somehow an innovation which is a constitutional outrage. They are completely missing the point. This is a new right for Parliament, additional to the existing powers of no confidence.
1: Clegg made it clear throughout that civil liberties are an area that the Conservatives and Lib Dems are very close on, Uh, surprising to some, and blamed Labour uh, for their erosion in 13 years of
2: power. This government will end the culture of spying on its citizens. It is outrageous that decent, law-abiding people are regularly treated as if they've got something to hide. It has to stop. So there'll be no ID card scheme, no national identity register, a halt to second generation biometric passports. We won't hold your internet and email records when there is no reason to do so. CCTV will be properly regulated, as will the DNA database, with restrictions on the storage of innocent people's DNA. Right.
1: I'm going to hang out again in Portcullis House, uh, next to Big Ben, and hear what MPs have to say about it, where we can find them. David Davis, you resigned as Shadow Home Secretary on civil liberty matters. Do you view Nick Clegg's speech with uh, delight that a government exists which might
3: have the will and the capacity to make things better than they've been? Oh, yeah, I think the civil liberties element of, of the compact, if that's what it is, the coalition compact, uh, is first class, frankly. Uh, I do think that uh, the, it makes the commitment to ID card abolition, to database abolition, to control of CCTV, to reduction of the number of innocent people on DNA database, all those, all those hallmark things uh, I think will be easier to deliver.
1: Uh, and how should they go about it? N- uh, Nick Clegg appeared in his speech in North London today to say maybe a big bang bill. He made a direct reference to the Great Reform Bill of 1832, which is actually quite a small reform bill. I wasn't there myself. but they ex- <laughs> I thought you reported ex- on it. <laughs> they expanded the franchise uh, from, I think, half a million to
3: 700,000 or something. But uh, uh, should they take the big bang approach, or is that asking for trouble? No, I, don't, I think uh, the big bang approach is actually worthwhile. Normally speaking, actually, I'm in favour... Of careful incremental legislation so you can discover whether it works and you don't get unintended consequences. What we have here, however, is a repeal, not a a new piece of law, it's a big repeal. Uh, And so you're taking away things which you know are going wrong already. One of the bills, say,
1: we repeal uh, or amend the following legislation in the following terms. And then you'd move on to the more positive stuff, constitutional reform and other things. And that might work. You've been in the Whip's office. Will
3: it work? Well, because the kind of your people don't want it, do the they? That's a reform elements, so a little more controversial. And it depend, depends what you're talking about. I mean, the, the 55% proposal, unless it transforms from what it is now, uh, will be very controversial. But you're against it. Aren't I'm you? against that. I'm against mm-hmm. that. I don't. I don't think a government can properly change the rules after it's come onto the pitch. It can't turn around and say, now you've elected us, we're going to make it more difficult to get rid of us. Uh, If it's not in your manifesto, if you've not done all the things you need to do, speakers' conferences and referenda and white papers and all that sort of thing, uh, as they did, as the Labour government did, for example, with the Scottish bill. So that bit will be more problematic. Because the same
1: device, for people who don't know, uh, exists in the Scottish legislation. I think it's the 66 Uh, percent threshold
3: to force an election between parliaments. It's an attempt to address the fixed-term parliament. But that that wasn't for a parliament that can declare wars, uh, a parliament that can set treaties, uh, a parliament that actually controls the entire economy of the country. Uh, The Scottish parliament's not in that position. So at the end of the day, if you had a paralysed government, This is, I mean, not my term, it's actually Charlie Faulkner's term, uh, so-called zombie government. Labour peer. Labour peer, yes. Uh, uh, Regrettably, in this case, has got the better term. But uh, uh, if if you have a zombie government which is in place, can't deliver its business, can't deliver its money, but uh, neither can it get out of government, uh, that would be a terrible outcome for a sovereign state.
1: Right, last question, the obvious one. Uh, You gave it all up on a point of principle, forced to by-election, got re-elected, But you've seen colleagues of yours get cabinet jobs. You've seen Theresa May have the job you might have had. Any regrets in the wee small hours? I know you're
3: smiling now, but what about the (laughs) wee small hours? No, not in the wee small hours either. Why not? Well, Why not? Because what's happened in the last two years, a complete transformation of the argument on civil liberties. That wouldn't have happened. I mean, I wasn't the only thing in that. There were many other things too. But it was a detonator in the avalanche. It was worth doing.
1: You put yourself on the barbed wire. Couldn't you have done it without sacrificing your cabinet
3: career? Well, I suppose the tradition is you put somebody else on the barbed wire, but yes. no, on this occasion, it was only me to do it.
1: And we've caught something, Campbell. We've got him pinned against the wall. What uh, is the way Nick Clegg should proceed from here with this ambitious scheme he set out in his speech today?
6: A lot will depend, curiously, not on the House of Commons, but on the House of Lords, because constitutional issues are usually meat and drink in the House of Lords. And they, of course, don't have the same kind of guillotine or programme. They, whip, they don't and they have equal standing on constitutional in, in, matters. Indeed, and they don't have guillotining of bills, nor do they have something like the programme motion, which is a way in the House of Commons uh, of trying to allocate time without allowing things to go out of hand. Uh, therefore, it seems to me that a practical thing to do would be to select those issues which deal directly with members of Parliament and Parliament itself like, for example, the uh, five-year term for Parliament, the recall of MPs if they've been guilty of uh, corruption or something of that kind, uh, to deal with those issues which directly affect Parliament and the reputation of Parliament, and then to move on to the wider agenda later? Uh, So uh,
1: the wider agenda, would that include voting reform? Because a lot of your people want to see it done quickly.
6: Well, if you remember your Shakespeare, if it were done to best, it were done quickly. Uh, but it seems to me that the principal objective of these reforms is to restore confidence in Parliament. And the best way of doing that is for the regulation of Parliament to be right up front. For my own part, since we expect a five-year Parliament, then there's no reason why the issue of a referendum on the alternative vote could not be... Uh, second in the queue rather than first. Some worldly
1: fellow said to me today, well, of course, it'll suit uh, the Prime Minister to keep his deputy uh, on the back foot on that one because it's a sort of guarantee of Lib Dem good behaviour. Until they've got electoral reform, they won't be tempted to do a runner and break the coalition.
6: I don't think there are any guarantees of good behaviour for the Liberal Democrats. Uh, This has been true (laughs) up to now. (laughs) And, uh, listen, being in government doesn't always guarantee good behaviour. As the experience of uh, Mrs. Thatcher and to some extent uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown has eloquently demonstrated in recent time, the referendum is obviously very important, but I think most of my colleagues would accept that the restoration of the good name of Parliament should come first.
1: I also bumped into Paul Farrelly, Labour MP for Newcastle under Underline. What's your reaction as a Labour MP who's concerned about civil liberties? How do you respond to Nick Clegg's charges that the Labour government let civil liberties down very badly?
7: Well, I'm, 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 on, I'm on record as having uh, uh, rebelled over extensions to uh, detention um, without trial and, and, and other issues, and I think we, we did go, go too far but I'm, I'm this Liberal Democrat drum banging at the moment is really is designed to uh, uh, deafen people when they are busy uh, beating hasty retreats on many of their core policies, and we'll we'll see we'll see uh, what they do, for instance,
1: on tuition fees in the autumn. Uh, but on uh, civil liberties, you feel when Clegg rattles off the list, ID uh, cards, CCTV databases fingerprinting of children the whole list of unattractive policies which he dumps all at the door of your government and says we're going to put that right well I would have um, had it had it
7: come to a vote uh, in any shape or form I would have rebelled against uh, identity cards as well uh, completely impractical uh, uh, a waste of money and uh, and uh, and an infringement but if the, if the Liberal Democrats are just uh, now piling up policy after policy they're talking about the past not the future and what we want to see is what the liberal democrats are going to stick to in terms of their campaign to modernize the constitution to reform campaign finance uh, and other things and, and whether they beat a hasty retreat under uh, the cover of this
1: are uh, uh, you're in favor of those reforms the constitutional av for example or uh... Uh, absolutely i'm in favor and we'll 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 see uh
7: we'll see what happens and uh and whether the liberal democrats will be able to progress what they what they uh, want uh, as many progressive labor MPs want.
1: Okay, thank you. Now let's go over to John Dennis at Guardian HQ for more on this pressing topic.
4: I'm with Alan Travis, Home Affairs Editor, and Afwa Hirsch, Legal Affairs Correspondent. Um, Afwa, Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg, as we must now think of him, said that this was the biggest shake-up of our democracy in 178 years. That's since the Great Reform Act of 1832. Do these reforms live up to that billing?
5: Well, on one level, yes. On another level, no. I mean, the whole human rights and civil liberties package that he's talking about is not so much um, anything new as restoring what really should have been there in the first place. Labour brought in the Human Rights Act in 1998 and the idea was that it would guarantee civil liberties and protect our rights. And one of the biggest criticisms about New Labour over the last 13 years is that despite having brought in that law, they then began eroding those rights and liberties. So... Um, Both the Lib Dems and the Conservatives said in opposition that were they to come into government, they would prioritise restoring the rights that should be there. Now, the two parties disagree about the best way to do that, but they agreed about the principle that those rights should be protected. So a lot of the things that Nick Clegg is talking about, um, Contact Point and the DNA database, um, these are all things that um, it's long been said are important to protect our privacy rights.
4: Alan, uh, the new politics, is this evidence of of that?
0: Well, I think there are some quite exciting things uh, in the package which do deserve to be regarded as some possible historic, significant introduction of fixed-term parliaments, for example. The uh, possibility in the long term of direct elections to the House of Lords, uh, complete reform the way the House of Commons works with... uh, Direct, uh, elections by secret ballot to select committees that uh, Parliament should be able to control its own business and how uh, that means timetabling of government legislation and so on uh, things of those kinds would probably would uh, gladden the heart of any Chartist marching through uh, the great Chartist marches of uh, the 1830s but obviously um, compared to things like universal suffrage for example and other uh, landmarks in uh, our development of our parliamentary democracy uh, it, it's not quite up to those buildings.
4: Now, Alan, um, you've written uh, in The Guardian that the coalition plan to create more than 170 new peers. Um, it's even more of a fix than the proposed 55% rule uh, on dissolution votes in the Commons. Um, what's your view of what Nick Clegg said about that today?
0: Well, this is where we get into the detail of the question. And uh, uh, whilst one can applaud uh, the long-term aim of having a commission to sit down and work out, bring forward, allegedly by December, draft motions to move towards a partially or directly elected uh, House of Lords, it's what they're talking about in the interim that matters the uh, House of Lords reform notoriously takes an awful long time uh, Lloyd George in 1910 1911 Parliament Act when they uh, restricted its right to vote down budgets uh, famously said that was a first step towards uh, ending the House of Lords veto in the fabric of the British Constitution Well, we waited 109 years for the next step uh, so uh, what they're proposing in the interim is to make appointments to the House of Lords more reflective of the share of votes that happened at the general election, and in theory that could mean, if they were to reflect the actual share of the votes, that, uh, as you say, 170 more uh, peers would be elected. The, the proposition is that uh, since 1999, when the Tory backwardsmen were all kicked out in their hundreds, was that no single one party should dominate the House of Lords. But we now have the case where two parties actually make up the governing party. So the Conservatives, combined with the Lib Dem peers in the Lords, now have a majority over the number of Labour peers. Uh, you have crossbenchers as well, but their voting habits tend to be small C Conservative. Uh, with the net result that uh, Labour suffered, I think, like 350 defeats during about seven years of uh, the new Labour government. And uh, I think effectively, even the position at the moment, uh, the coalition is likely to have a much easier ride in the upper house. And if they adopt this interim proposal of being reflective of the share of the vote, we can see wave after wave of new appointments uh, over the next months and years to come. Whilst they search for a long-term solution for the House of Lords, uh, which will just eventually uh, build up uh, uh, the government majority in the House of Lords until it's a supine creature.
5: I think I think this is interesting because you know, as Alan said, House of Lords reform takes a long time, slash never happens. So um, there's something very counterintuitive about saying that you're going to reform the Lords. But as an interim measure, you're going to um, try to manipulate the balance, um, essentially creating new peers. It it feels like stepping in the opposite direction um, from reforming the upper house. And in light of the fact that that reform may never happen, um, I think that that's creating a lot of unease. And actually, the the other change which caused a lot of controversy, which was the proposed fixed term parliament with 55 percent vote. It seems like something more tangible that you can you can see that happening quite quickly. And I think that's one reason maybe it incited a lot of passion as well, because it's a reform that could just happen very quickly.
4: Can I ask you, um, Clegg wants the public to nominate laws um, to be scrapped. Um, So how would this work and which laws would be contenders for the chop?
5: Well, I see this as a kind of massive crowdsourcing exercise, actually, because um, the parties have all said, even Labour, actually, towards the end of its last term, um, admitted that there needed to be a look back at some of the laws that came in over the last thirteen years. One of the major features of the last government was just the sheer scale of legislating—over um, three thousand new pieces of criminal legislation alone—and there was some recognition, um, even in the government, that. That had gone too far and that it it was time to look back at some of those laws and see what was no longer necessary um so it seems like what nick clegg is doing is essentially throwing that question open (laughs) maybe he doesn't want to look through three three thousand new pieces of legislation himself and people feel very strongly this is quite a populist idea that you know we've got too many laws um some of them are oppressive and, and they need to be scaled back so um i think there will be some obvious contenders i mean the prevention of terrorism act creates the control orders regime is unpopular um control orders is going to be an interesting sticking point because um the parties don't necessarily fully agree on what to do about those and there are various other pieces of counter legislation that are also quite unpopular but you know there are laws that hardly anyone knows about i mean i've spoken to judges who've said they're completely unable to keep up with the scale of new criminal legislation because there's just too much of it um so i'm not quite sure where that exercise will start
0: sounds good on paper. The Tories wanted to put forward a great re- grand repeal bill, I think they called it. Uh, it all sounds uh, very impressive, very liberal. But again, when you look at the detail, you start finding that different people want different things that have to be repealed. And we know that uh, already a big row developing over the question of the Human Rights Act, which I'm sure large sections of the Conservative Party have said they want to see repealed, and as well as the uh, Daily Mail, Daily Telegraph, and so on. And it was interesting that Clegg gave quite a clear commitment, as far as he was concerned, that uh, he stood by uh, the Human Rights Act and he particularly would wanted to see uh, uh, a square that, the, that, uh, that Britain in no way resolved from the European Convention on Human Rights. It would be interesting to see now um, what happens in the commission. They're going to set up to try and resolve this difference between Conservative position and uh, the Liberal Democrat position in the coalition. Uh, it had been thought that uh, in the run-up to the general election, Dominic Grieve, the then shadow justice spokesman had intimated that british bill of rights would be something for the third or fourth year of a conservative government and everyone was re- becoming relatively relaxed about it and when ken clark was appointed uh, justice secretary last week uh, he had in the past described the british bill of rights as xenophobic and legal nonsense and so it was widely assumed that uh, this ain- wasn't going to happen but dramatically with the al-qaeda deportation case yesterday um, earlier this week that uh, it now seems that the question of the future of the Human Rights Act is back on the table again and a matter of immediate negotiation.
4: Finally, after the much-criticised libel laws, what's the future for them?
5: Well, I think the future as far as freedom of expression campaigners is quite rosy. Um, both the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives have said very strongly that they want to make sure that freedom of protection, um, freedom of expression is protected, which incidentally is one of the things that the Human Rights Act can do, but they kind of uh, cons- Conservatives especially avoid um, c- uh, complementing the Human Rights Act and its, its potential to protect freedom of expression. Um, but we've already seen the previous government put um, several reviews in place about the way that libel law is affecting the press. And um, there are indications that, that that process will continue. There are several working groups looking at things like super injunctions, the cost of libel cases, um, and that's going on across the judiciary and the profession. So I think that will continue and I think we can expect to see... Um, some new legislation that will help to protect freedom of speech.
4: Alan Affort, many thanks for talking to us. Guardian Daily was produced today by Andy Duckworth and in Westminster, Phil Maynard. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening.
5: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward audio.